Well, good morning, church. It's good to see everybody. And I uh, can't see you guys who are here with us online, but we're glad that you're with us as well. Uh, thank you for joining us today. It's good to be together. Uh, I miss being together. That's one of the things that this pandemic has, has really curtailed for us. And uh, it, is, it is nice to see your faces, or at least the top half of your faces out there. Uh, hang tough, church. Uh, this won't last forever. Do not grow weary in well-doing. Uh, there are still people who need to hear from you and uh, that you need to reach out to and find ways to minister to. Uh, there are still things that need to be done, so keep it up, and uh, we'll get through this together. Um, Jeremy and I have put online a survey. It's mentioned in your bulletin. This is a survey about possible Bible class formats uh, while we're still in this social distancing mode and a few other questions. And uh, so if you haven't had a chance to fill that out, that's available through the Facebook page and through the emails that the office sends out. So please go ahead and answer that for us. And that'll help us uh, as we make plans for how the fall is going to look. So uh, thanks for that. So Paul says, I am like in labor until Christ is formed in you, writing to the Galatians. It's like a woman trying to give birth. I, I am struggling hoping that God will bring forth in your life, Christians, the shape of Jesus Christ. You know, in one sentence, that kind of sums up what your life is supposed to be heading towards, what my life is supposed to be heading towards. From the moment you are baptized and you come up soaking wet out of that watery grave, God is working on you and invites you to join him in forming your life so that day by day you look more and more like Jesus Christ would look if he was living your life. So that more and more the people that know you will be touched by someone in the image of Jesus Christ. More and more the jobs that you do and the effort that you put out will be like someone who is acting as Jesus Christ walking around. That's what we're here for. That is what your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's kind of what that's about. Right here, right now, even before heaven comes, we are to be acting out as little Jesuses everywhere we are. And God has built some things into Christianity to help us develop in those ways. He has kind of structured some things. And, and this whole sermon series has been about different things that God has built into our Christian faith to help us grow if we will just let him uh, teach us and tutor us. And today is, is one of the absolute bedrock fundamentals. Because today we're talking about prayer. Today we are talking about something that will make the difference between lightning and a lightning bug in your life. You know, 
You can have a prayer life. Or you can have a prayer life. And it makes so much difference on how much God is able to take you and shape you so that you, in your unique situation, with your unique relationships and skills and abilities, you are walking around shedding Jesus everywhere you go. Prayer can do that for us. It's very powerful. You know, you, just, you don't have to look very far through the Gospels and you see these kind of verses. Mark chapter 1, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Matthew 14, 23. After he had dismissed them, he went up into the mountainside, Jesus did, by himself to pray. Luke 5, 16. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Luke 6, 12. One of those days, Jesus went out into the mountainside to pray. And he spent the night praying to God. That's just not all the verses. That's just a few verses that I ran across quickly. If the perfect, sinless Son of God needed to include insistent daily prayer in his life, what does that tell me about me? What does that tell you about you? Brothers and sisters, there is an enormous well of power here. And many of you I know are prayer warriors. But some of us, I'm afraid, let this source of power sit off to the side and don't access it the way that we could. Jesus Christ was empowered because he prayed. And you can be empowered as you increase your prayer life. The text I want us to focus on uh, is one of the texts that Nate read for us, this Matthew 6 passage. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Matthew 6, starting around verse 5. This is part of the great Sermon on the Mount. It's been precious to Christians from the very beginning. One of well, actually, all three chapters of the Sermon on the Mount are, are the most quoted section of the entire Bible by early Christians. If you look at the literature that Christians wrote in the 2nd, 3rd, 4th, 5th century, these three chapters show up more than any other part of Scripture. And this passage is used over and over and over again. Matthew 6, starting in verse 5. And when you pray... You should not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who's in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And uh, if you have the King James Version, or any version that depends on uh, the older, the, um, the majority of manuscripts, it adds this last phrase, which is the way I memorized it, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And that's actually really early. It may not go back to the original of Matthew. We don't know for sure. But it starts being quoted that way by the middle of the second century. So it could be, it could go all the way back. But whichever it is, that prayer of Jesus and that instruction that Jesus gives about prayer contains an incredible amount of power that we can access in our lives. If we just start doing the things Jesus says just in these verses, our prayer life can take off and be much more powerful than perhaps it is. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, Jesus says. They love to stand up and they love to have people see them standing up and praying. And Jesus says this interesting phrase, he uses it three times for three different acts of righteousness that are there to show off. He says, People who do that, who do acts of righteousness just so other people can see them. They give away their money just so other people can see them. They fast just so other people can see them. Or they pray just so other people can see them. He says, they have already received their reward. They shouldn't expect to get anything from God. Isn't that interesting? In other words, if when I pray, the main thing that's on my mind is, John Gardner's over there. He's going to see me praying. He's going to think I'm really... Bill, Bill Rice is going to see how pious I am. Yep, yep, that's right. Uh, uh, Jerry Noblin back there, he's going to see what a righteous man. Jim, look at Jim Baird pray. Look at him go. Look at that. You know. And if that's what's on my mind, well, I guess that's what I wanted out of prayer, so that's what I get out of prayer. They have received their reward. Jesus says you get out of prayer what you really are seeking, and if you're seeking human approval, then that's what you'll get. He says instead, when you pray, verse 6, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your Father who's in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This doesn't mean never pray in public. Uh, Jesus prayed in public, Paul prayed in public, you know, there's lots of public prayer. But what it does mean is this. Private prayer, just between you and God, is the main engine of your prayer life. Your public prayers are the tip of the iceberg that's above water. 90% of your prayer life is that secret prayer just between you and God. If you want powerful prayers, if you want a powerful prayer life, if you want prayers to change you the way God needs you changed, then, then that's not a bad ratio. 10% public, 90% private. That ain't bad. And in fact, I've said this many times, and you guys have heard me say it. If you feel like your spiritual life is drifting, you're more vulnerable somehow to temptations and 
and, 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 and you feel like your relationship with God is getting stale or, or problem, this is one of the things to check. You can do this diagnosis right here, right now. You can just ask yourself, how often, what is my ratio of public to private prayer? You know, prayer where other people can see me and go, ooh, look at him pray, look at him go, versus prayer is just between you and God. And if, and if you see that ratio has gotten out of whack, and mostly when you pray, it's where other people can see you, then there's a good reason why you're lacking power in your Christian life. You're lacking energy in your Christian life. You're lacking fervor in your Christian life. Private prayer is the main engine of your prayer life. There was a study done by a guy named Jeffrey Harris, associate professor of psychology at University of Kansas. It wasn't a big study, and it probably needs to be replicated, but he did over uh, over 100 uh, of his, you know, Brian, he used his college freshman, as you might expect. Um, but he was basically studying what does it take to make a friend, a casual friend and a close friend. And he kind of investigated that, and, and uh, his finding is this, 40 to 60 hours of time together is required just to make a casual friendship. And if you want to have a close friend, the kind of friend that will come and bail you out of jail, it takes 200 hours minimum of investment. So now we sing a song, what a friend we have in Jesus. But if you aren't spending any time talking to Jesus... What kind of a friendship can you have with him? This has to be a part of your daily life. That I am talking and putting in my time with Jesus. I'm talking and putting in my time maintaining and building that friendship with God. That's how this works. Where are your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That can be monetary treasure. That can be, you know, volunteer work that you do. But I'm telling you, your prayer life is one of the treasures that you store up with God. And it will move your heart out of self-centeredness over into God-centeredness. Private prayer is is the, needs to be the main engine, that secret prayer between you and God, the main engine of your prayer life. And when you pray, Jesus says, verse 7, don't heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do, for they think that they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Well, that's, that's deep right there. This has happened over and over again in the world's religions. It's happened over and over again in the Christian religion where people have, have thought that prayer is like a merit badge system. And if I say more prayers, I get more points. 
And so there have been people who've, you know, engaged in marathon prayers, and there have been people who've, in, who've, who've had, you know, certain prayers that they've repeated a thousand times or two thousand times or five, whatever, you know. And, and you can understand kind of the human logic of that, that, you know, God's going to be impressed by all the effort I'm putting into this. And Jesus is saying, look, a few words that you say to God that you really care to say, that you really mean, are worth thousands of words where your brain has gone on vacation while you say them. You know? It's interesting, that's, ac that's ac actually got a corollary in that same Jeffrey Hall study from 2018. He said, people report that the individuals where they never do anything except, hi, how are you, and engage in small talk. How's the weather? Oh, I hate this weather. You know, what about those Red Sox? Uh, people that only have that level of conversation, uh, whatever level of friendship they were on, they never get it any deeper than that. Even if they spend time talking, if it's that kind of surface level talking, their friendship doesn't deepen. And I think that's very uh, indicative of our relationship with God. God knows what's going on with you, right? I mean, he knows what you're struggling with. He loves you and is worried about the stuff that's bugging you. Now he's, he feels your pain probably more than you feel it. The stuff that's agonizing you and the people that you're worried about and the things in your life that you're concerned might happen or might not happen. I mean, he knows all that stuff and he knows the kind of pain and trouble that it's causing you. He knows what you're hoping for. But he wants you to talk to him about that stuff. And the more you talk to him in a real voice, not a fake put on voice, oh Lord, thou art great. You know, nothing, I mean, if you don't talk like that to your friends, don't talk like that to God. Talk to God about real things that you're really concerned about. He already knows but he wants to hear from you, Jesus says. Just, just a few words that you really mean is where the power is to be found. And Jesus says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. What does hallowed mean? Hallowed is an old form it means held holy, held as holy, respected as holy. God, let your name be held as holy by me and by everybody. That's, that's what that prayer phrase means when we say, hallowed be thy name, the old form. It means I am praying that I will hold your name as a holy name and that everyone out there will hold your name as a holy name. And, it, and the name of God means, it just stands for God. I want people to recognize, I want myself to recognize just how amazing you are. How glorious, how beautiful, how righteous, how perfect, how loving, how kind, how desirous, how beautiful you are, God. 
That's what I'm praying when I say, hallowed be your name, right? And, and one of the things you can do to, to, to increase the intensity of your prayer life, if it's gotten stagnant, is to spend some time every day hallowing the name of God in your prayer. I mean, you can say every day, hallowed be your name, but that starts to be vain repetition pretty soon unless you add some details to that. Add some specificity to that. Think about why it is today, what strikes you today as a reason why God is glorious. What strikes you today as a reason why God is loving and kind and beautiful beyond description. You know, what is it today that's, that's on your mind about it? Hallow God a little bit. If you want your prayer life to get up a level and hold your interest better, uh, as well as relate you better to God, do some of that. Hallowed be your name. Verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is, of course, in one verse, it's kind of the whole agenda of what we're doing down here. It's the whole agenda of what Jesus is about and now what he's turned us to be about. We are trying to make God's will be done on earth as it's already being done on heaven. We want, we want God's will to triumph. This has, if you pray this, this has transforming power. If you pray this with people in mind, it has transforming power in their lives. It's not, you're not rubbing a magic lamp, you're not talking to a genie granting wishes, but it has transforming power. If you aim this prayer, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven at specific people, it has power. And if you aim it at yourself, be careful, because it has transforming power about you. So watch out. Because what you're saying is, Against all human tendency to rebel, you're saying God really is the rightful king of all this. It's not just that God's the biggest and the strongest, so I guess eventually we're going to have to give in to him. It is that in my heart of hearts, I know that goodness and God coincide. That the best thing I can do is the God thing. And that every time I've deviated from the God thing, I've deviated from the good thing. That those two things are the same. I want God to triumph in everything. That's what you're saying. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I, I shared this detail with some of you a long time ago. I read this uh, during the time of uh, leading up to the American Revolution. Uh, you had, you know, aristocratic families living in the colonies, and there was division. People said, no, we've got to be loyal to the king. There was people who said, no, it's getting to be time. We've got we've to make a break. And, and it actually, it was interesting uh, politics, that, that particular political question manifested in an odd, odd thing. 
because if you invite somebody over for a formal dinner party, which they did back then, you know, had, had a bunch of people over, it was customary to offer a toast. You always offered a toast to the king. God save the king. King George. And the people who no longer felt that loyalty to the king and felt their loyalty should now be to the colonies breaking away from the king, they wouldn't drink that toast. And in fact, they started offering a counter toast. So can you, you can imagine a dinner party. That's a little tense, right? The host stands up perhaps and says, God save the king. And you won't drink. And then you stand up and say, God save the United States of America. You see what that fight was about? That fight was about who is in charge and where my allegiance is. Who am I saying is in charge? When you say, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, you are pledging your allegiance to God. How often do you think you should pledge your allegiance to God? Let me suggest at least as often as you pledge your allegiance to the United States of America. I think you should pledge your allegiance to God every day. And I think it's worth praying in whatever words you want to pray every day. God, I want you to be king of the universe. I want rebellion and I want people hurting themselves by the rebellion. I want all that to finally be brought to an end. I want you to be king through Jesus Christ, of the universe. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Declare your allegiance to God every day. Verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. This means that I depend on God for everything I put in my mouth. And many of us know that in our heads because we've been taught it. But our problem is, I can know that in my head and it sort of not be real to me in my heart. And if I pray this day in and day out, today God, give me the things I need to survive. Make my lungs continue to work. Make, make my body continue to be able to process glucose so my brain still thinks. You know, don't turn off the gravity today, please, Lord. You know, whatever it is you think of that you require for God to keep you alive, ask him for that because it declares not just to your head but to your heart, yeah, I am radically dependent on God keeping me alive today. And it helps you to know that. Declare your physical dependence on God every day. And then Jesus says this, And forgive us our debts, or some translations say sins, as we forgive our debtors or those who have sinned against us. Every day, tell God, I am physically dependent on you. And also every day, tell God, I am spiritually in your debt. I am spiritually dependent on you. Try not to let a day go by when you don't say that to God. God, I know 
how I stand in relation to you spiritually. I know you have saved me. And I know you are just like Jeremy told us, you are wanting to save me from the mess I keep trying to make of my life. And I am grateful that you have forgiven me. And God, let me turn some of my gratitude into energy to forgive the people who have messed me around and who have wronged me. And they really have wronged me. People really have. But God, let, let me remember that you've done for me so that I can use that energy to forgive others. Verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I like that last phrase. That one's become more and more important to me as I've become an adult. Because I know every day is a wrestling match with temptation. Some days are better than others, but every day I get hit. From one direction or another, I get hit by temptation. And I have found that on the days where I remember to start the day by saying, God, please protect me today. And in particular, on the days where I say, God, please protect me today. And by the way, looking over my day's schedule, these are the kind of temptations I sort of expect. And I tell God in specific what I think might happen. And ask for his protection specifically for those against those temptations. Those are days that go way better for me. And I encourage you to make that a part of your daily prayers. Before you go out the door, put on some armor of prayer against the, the, the attacks that Satan might be launching at you that day. This has become an incredibly precious prayer for the last 2,000 years for Christians. And I want it to be a precious prayer for you and your life. God wants to act in power in your life. He wants to be blessing you, transforming you, making you an instrument of his will, and he wants to be acting through you out into the world. And activating prayer day in and day out is one of the ways that you can let God work his power out into the world through you. If you need to respond to the invitation of the gracious God through Jesus Christ to wash away your sins and make you a child of God through baptism, or if you need prayers or help of some other kind, why don't you come forward, tell us what we can do for you as we stand and sing.